Everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves to tell their story, to share their story. Moments are built around them. Movies are built around them. History is defined by them and people are transformed through them. And our new series that we're tackling is just that. It's this idea of streaming. And it's really, if Jesus were to walk today, if he were to physically be on earth in 2020, these are some of the stories he would tell. It's stories that we, we get out of the gospels. We actually uh, read them as parables and that's how they're framed up, but they're just that. They're stories. And, and I, would, I would put them up against the best YouTube channel, the best Netflix original. Uh, I would say that Jesus would probably have the best Instagram stories, right? I mean, this is this is what we know about Jesus and how he told stories is the stories that he told would change lives for eternity. They had such an impact. They were stories that helped make heavenly truths understandable by relating them to earthly stories. So I want to do this this morning before we jump into this new series. I just want to start us off in prayer. All right. So let's pray. God, you're good and you know our hearts and we all come this morning from different circumstances and different situations, but the reality, Lord, is that we're all in the same boat. We all need you. And so today, through your word, would you just transform us? Would you, would you challenge us to leave here differently than the way we came? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, losing something is one of the worst feelings you can ever have. It will send you into a panic, won't it? In fact, I'd love to do this, um, maybe a little survey. If you're sitting next, I was, I was going to say if you're sitting next to someone who's a chronic loser, but that sounds horrible. If you're, if you're sitting next to someone who loses stuff all the time, would you just raise your hand? Yep. Some of you are going to be finding a different ride home. No big deal, right? How about this? How many of you... <laughs> uh, People on both sides are you like, wait, who are you talking about? Okay. Um, how, how many of you have ever uh, lost a, a wedding ring? Anybody? <laughs> uh, you're like, oh gosh, that's going to bring up a problem. Okay. Some of you, your wives or husbands are just finding out about it. That's good to know. How about car keys? Anybody always lose their car keys? Anybody sitting next to somebody who always loses their car keys? Just point at them. Just point at them. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, we always talk about no condemnation, but here we go, okay? How many of you are horrible with directions? Any raise of hands, horrible with directions? Yeah, we're related to some folks. Uh, my, my wife's sister and her husband, if they get out of the city limits, they're, just, they're not even sure what state they're in. They're like, where are we at? It's hilarious. We don't ride anywhere with them. There's, a, there's this horrible feeling that comes when you've lost something. Most of us don't remember getting lost as a kid, but, but you begin to remember it when you, when, I don't know if you've had this happen, when a kid comes up to you and they think you're their mom or dad and they like pull on your, your pants or your sleeve and they're like, hey, hey, and you look at them and they're like, ah, you know, like this horrifying feeling, you know, okay, you feel bad for them, but you're like, good luck, you know, and so <laughs> there's this frozen feeling, right, realizing that you thought you were within the protection or the reach of your parent only to find out you weren't. Maybe a better connection is for parents who have had that moment where you lost your kid. Anybody? No, no, we won't raise hands. Okay. But I've, I've learned that, that moms and dads react differently 
uh, when, when you lose a child. That, okay, as long as you won't turn us in, I'll tell you two stories. One, um, our youngest, uh, Kenna, she's kind of our extroverted, like, take on the world kid. When she was really young, my wife called me one day. She's, she's crying. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, you're not going to believe this. Kenna, which she was like four. I don't even know if she's that old. But she, she um, opened the front door and just walked down the sidewalk. And our neighbor brought her home. And my wife's like, I'm the worst mom ever. And I'm like, no, she's the worst kid ever. Who does that, you know? Like, you can't blame yourself for this. But like, that's, our, our, our youngest has always been hard to keep track of. We were, we were in a Zaxby's in Southern Indiana. And all the, we have a family of five and we're trying to order. And we're staring up at the menu because you're trying to figure out how to get lunch and yet not have to take out a loan. And we're, we're processing the whole, like, who can share what. And we look down. We've, we've gotten done. We've ordered the food. Haven't paid for it yet. And we look down and, and Ken is not standing by us anymore. She was, she's always been like a clone of Houdini, you know. Like, but she was three probably, so she could escape easily anyway. And we look down, and at first you're like, well, that's weird. She was just here. And, and so you say, so, you know, Kenna, like I, I say, Kenna, where are you? You know, and, and kind of every second that goes by, your voice gets a little louder. And, and uh, this is where dads and moms are different. Like I'm like, well, maybe I just need to say a little bit. Kenna, you know, and Rachel just walks to the middle of the room. And she says, I need everyone to, to stop what they're doing. <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow. Like we just went to, you know. Defcon 5 right there, you know, like, and, and she's like, have you anybody seen a little girl with blonde pigtails, you know? And she just took over the place. Mama bared the whole crowd. And, and one, uh, one couple over in the corner kind of like waves, you know, because at this point, I mean, you know, I'm thinking she could have slipped out the door or, you know, worst case scenario, somebody grabbed her. I mean, that, as a parent that always, you know, that panic just sinks in. And this couple over the corner kind of waves and, and kind of points, and we go over and we look under the table, and she's sitting under this table just, just grinning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a parent at that moment, as the whole restaurant has your attention, you're like, well, we can't threaten her, you know? So you're like, oh, we're so glad you're back, you know? And, uh, and then you just wait till you get in the car. But, but, you know, there's no worse feeling. There's no worse feeling. If you've ever lost something or, or been lost... You know the rules just change. The rules change. I, I don't know how many of you have experienced this as an adult, uh, but I have. I, I got lost uh, one time as an adult, kind of to give you some context. Um, I, I, we would go once a year on this retreat with uh, some of my, a group of us pastors uh, to Gatlinburg in Tennessee, and just a great trip to kind of fill up and build relationships and regroup, uh, kind of spend some time with the Lord and. And uh, we would go in the afternoon, it was kind of a trip tradition, in the afternoon we'd go to this river at the state park in the Smoky Mountains, and we would climb the river. And what I mean by this, I think I've got a picture of the river here. So this river had huge rocks, so you could cl climb these rocks, and that's how we would climb up the river. And if you, you can't really tell by this picture, but these rocks are enormous. I've got this other picture here. Those two arrows are people. That gives you an idea how big these rocks are because I didn't want to tell this story and you guys be like, okay, you're just a, a, a weenie. So I wanted to be sure and point out these are huge rocks, right? And I'm in the middle of the pack. So some of the crew has, has 
climbed up uh, some of the river. There's some folks behind me and we get to this huge rock and I've got to, to jump up and grab this with my hands and pull myself up. It's that big. And I go to jump up and I'd watched some people do it ahead of me. They seemed to do it fine, but I jumped up and, and there was some moss on the top of the rock and my hands slipped off. My feet were out from under me and I just landed flat on my back on the rock below. It was brutal. And, um, and the first thing I look up, the first thing I see is one of my pastor buddies like looking down over me, which I was thinking, why didn't you catch me? You, you know, and and if you, and I knocked, it knocked the wind out of me. And I was like, you know, if you've ever had somebody look at you when you can't breathe because you're hurting and say, are you okay? You know, you're like, I'm going to lose my salvation, you know? So, so I, I finally get up, you know, and they're like, man, you know, I'm like, man, I'm hurt. So I, I, I said, you guys go on ahead of me. And I kind of went to the side of the river and I got into the woods at the state park. And uh, sure enough, man, I was focused on, you know, how bad I was hurting and everything else that as I was trying to get back, I got lost in the woods. And it's a, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a horrible feeling. It's a, as a kid, you, you can, you think of certain things as an adult, you know, what can happen, you know, bears, all these other things that are going through my head. And, and the feeling was absolutely devastating. And, and I don't know how long it's been since you have felt lost, but the feeling of loss or the feeling of being lost has the same impact on a person physically that it does spiritually and emotionally. You know what I'm talking about? When you thought you were going the right way and you end up at the wrong destination and fear and uncertainty sets in, when life circumstances don't seem to be providing a a clear path out or the feeling of being lost just becomes one of the scariest feelings ever. You see, the work that God wants to do in your life and in mine, it's often not super complex. And it may be difficult because we have to work through some things, but I don't know that it's super complex. Scripture says that God's word is a lamp into our feet and it's there to light our path. In other words, when you feel lost, when you feel like you don't know what to do, when all seems gone, God's in the business of lighting our paths. The reality for many of us though, and and I really believe this, is that some of us don't even realize we're lost. You know what I mean? Maybe you can look back on a moment where now in hindsight, you're like, man, I was lost. I didn't know what I was doing. But at the time you didn't, you didn't consider that as a possibility. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories, but they're all tied together. And I'm going to tell you that the first story that really three stories, but the first parable in Luke 15 that we're going to look at is kind of the pearl of parables in scripture. This is one of the, you could read these, you could read Luke chapter 15, these three stories all week long over and over. And you're going to find stuff in there. That's just going to make your, your brain stir. The three stories are about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and what some would say a lost son. The third one though, it stands out from the other two. The stories that Luke shares, they've got one purpose and it's this, to show God's love for sinners. So if you showed up to church today and you're like, man, I'm a sinner. Dude, this passage is gonna be really, really good news. If you showed up to church and you're like, I'm not a sinner, you got other problems, all right? (laughs) 
Here we go. We're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. All right? Just, if you don't know much about Jesus, this is what you need to know. He hung out with people who didn't necessarily think they ever would belong in a church. And in verse two, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Anytime you hear somebody mutter, it's probably not a good thing. But in Luke chapter 15, all of a sudden the stage is set for the dynamics that are taking place in the room. If you ever wondered what it was like to sit with Jesus or to hear him tell a story, you're getting ready to hear exactly what that looked like. And the way the room was set up is you had sinners and tax collectors sitting there, probably on one side, because those who mutter never do it where people can hear them. And on the other side, you have Pharisees and religious leaders. And they're a little annoyed, right? They're annoyed. Luke immediately describes the tension in the room. And the tension seems to be between those who seemingly have it all together and those who don't. To be even more crass, the ones who seem to be the most religious in the room are, they're annoyed that Jesus would even pay attention to the people in the room that, see the, to, that seem to be the most unreligious or broken. Jesus is paying attention to the ones that the Pharisees have become good at dismissing. Jesus can clearly see that they don't get it. They don't understand God the way they think they do. They believe God to be one with expectations and standards that you have to live up to. And Jesus is realizing the tension and he tells this story to connect heaven with earth, all right? So there's the setting, here's the story. Jesus told them this parable and verse four says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. You got to see this imagery. Jesus is telling this story with a lot of imagery. And he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together. And he says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus says, you guys all know what it's like to tend to sheep. You at least are familiar with livestock. And he begins to tell this story about a lost sheep. And the first of these three stories, I kind of wrestled with. I, I, I thought, I mean, really? You're gonna leave the 99 and go after one? I'm not sure if that's not irresponsible, Jesus. What about the 99, right? I mean, let's be honest. Even we have that tendency to think that way. I mean, Jesus, you probably care more about those people who are here this morning, right, than those who aren't. I mean, like, we're the ones, right, that have been responsible. That's the, the irresponsible sheep. But you have to understand the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story in light of the, the first couple of verses is Jesus is focusing on the heart of a good shepherd. He's focusing on the heart of the father. And his purpose in telling the story is that if you have 99 sheep who are under care and safe in the pasture and one is in trouble, one's alone, one's vulnerable, one's prone to be attacked, wouldn't a good shepherd go after the one that's in trouble? I mean, wouldn't that be a responsible, good shepherd? 
And for many listening to the story, they would understand the risk of this. They would understand that the terrain is difficult, that for the shepherd to do that, he puts his own life at risk, that there's certainly something that's stalking a sheep that's off by itself, and yet he's going to put himself in harm's way because of his love and his passion to make sure that that sheep is taken care of. In the first story Jesus tells, we get this beautiful imagery of the shepherd carrying the lost sheep back to the herd back under his protection. And I love the way Jesus tells the story. It says the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders and this is, the, this is what the, the line says, and goes home. And goes home. He says not only does he rejoice, but everyone around him is rejoicing, right? I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this much right now. If I lose my wallet in the house, everybody's gonna be looking and everybody's gonna be rejoicing when I find it, Right? <laughs> How about this next one? Jesus tells this next story. And this next story is about a coin. Listen to what he says. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Maybe your question this morning is this, man, what could we do to impact heaven here on earth? I'll tell you. Find someone who's lost. Because in that we read that heaven rejoices. Jesus tells this story about a woman losing a coin and both the lost coin and the lost sheep really are practical examples of the fact that when we lose some, some earthly possession and then it's found, man, we, we would often rejoice. Can you imagine how much heaven rejoices when a man or a woman who was lost is found? Jesus, who knew firsthand, mind you, says there's literally rejoicing in the presence of angels. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's, that's silly. I mean, rejoicing over one coin. Listen, y'all, I found $20 in a pair of washed jeans a couple weeks ago. It made my day. I was on cloud nine, right? I was walking around like I was gonna buy a new car. I mean, you would have thought, what? You just won the lottery, what happened? I'm like, it was 20 bucks. That's how happy I was. You've been there. Now change that to your spiritual condition. Jesus looks at the tax collectors and the religious folks in the room and he's telling these first two stories to prime the pump for what he's getting ready to say. But he looks at, at the, the, the tax collectors and the religious folks and, and he's wanting them to understand that God is a father who's in the business of rejoicing when lost children are found. If you don't know anything else about Jesus, you need to know this. Jesus understood that his call and purpose was to run after the lost. It's evident in these first two stories that Jesus tells that there's two groups of people, people who are lost and people who are found. And I'm gonna ask you to do this this morning. I'm gonna ask you to put yourself in one of the two categories. And if you're like, well, I don't know, I'm kind of like a, a lost found person. I, I would say you're, you're probably in one of the two categories. In fact, the setup for this third story is so powerful that I think it's going to help you determine which category you're in. 
But before we listen to this last story that Jesus tells, I think there's an important decision to make. The last story isn't about a sheep or a coin. The last story is about a lost child. And in this third story, you need to know that there are two sons in the story. One is lost and one son is found. And the lost son had what he thought would be a better way. In fact, if you don't know the the story, uh, uh, history calls it the story of the prodigal son. But if you don't know the story, basically what happens is you've got a, a younger brother and in that time, the men, the sons of the family would receive the inheritance once their dad passed away. The younger brother goes to the father and he says, I want my inheritance now. In other words, your good is dead to me. I want my inheritance and I want to leave. And the dad gives him his inheritance. And the dad and the son, the older son, stay back and they manage the farm while the younger son goes and he spends every dime he has on wild living. You imagine he did it. He was gonna live it up. After all, he had been kept for all those years from living life to its fullest. And he goes out and he lives it up. Here's the problem. Sooner or later, money runs out and money ran out for him. And when the money ran out and he experienced all that there was to experience, he found himself literally with nothing. Not only had he lost all of his money, He had no friends, he had no family, he had no job. In fact, the way the story tells it, if you read Luke 15, is at one point, he is down to nothing. He is eating pig slop out of a pig pen. That's just to stay alive. And it's at that point, at the lowest point of his life, that he decides that he has no other choice than to go back and beg his father for a job as a slave on the farm. He thinks maybe, maybe possibly my father will have enough pity on me that he will consider me a slave and he'll put me to work and at least then I would have food to eat and I wouldn't be eating out of this, this slop that the pigs eat out of. It took sinking that low for him to even realize that he was lost. I mean, that's the difficult part about being Lost as so many of us convince ourselves for so long that, we're, that we aren't lost until we, we find this moment where there's nowhere else to go, this realization. And in that moment of being lost, that, that you have to make a decision, out of desperation, the, the, the lost son starts to, to recite what he's gonna say. Have you ever been in this situation where you're getting ready to face someone and you know the conversation's not gonna go well, you know the conflict that's taken place and you're getting ready to talk and you just start um, writing the message in your head? <laughs> like you're in your car and you're like, okay, this is what I'm gonna say. No, I'm not gonna say that because that'll do this. And okay, here's, maybe if I approach it like this. So you can imagine the conversations this son has had in his head. He has figured out, this is what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna walk up. I've got the speech written out. I've got everything memorized. I'm gonna throw my, 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 myself at the feet of my father and beg. I'm gonna, I'm gonna beg. And, and in the worst case scenario, it can't get worse than it is now. So in verse 20, we read one of the most scandalous things that could have happened and it's told from the lips of Jesus. Listen to what verse 20 through 24 says. So he, the son, got up out of the pig slop and he went to his father and it says, but while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and he kissed him. In verse 21, it says the son starts into his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, he says. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has found the whole point of the story. So they began to celebrate. And my response to that story is this. What? What? I mean, the son starts into his speech and basically gets out the words, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him with, quick, get the streamers and the balloons out and tell everyone we're throwing a party. Friends, listen to me. This makes no sense. And when Jesus tells this story, I guarantee you the room was as quiet as it is right now. Where's the I told you so? Where's the punishment? Where's the anger? Where's the disappointment? Think about the unjust response. The, the father has worked his whole life to build a, a reputation, to build financial security for his family, for his children. The son had all but flipped him off on his way out the door and lived the most corrupt and, cru and crude life that we could imagine. And the father's response is get a robe I mean, as far as we know, they're still standing in the driveway as the father has said this. I mean, the son hasn't even made it to the front porch yet. In case you haven't caught on, this is, this is crazy. You have this son who's by all accounts ruined his family name. He has spit in the face of every family member that he has, and he went out like a tool and an idiot, and he squandered it all. And the father's immediate response is grab a robe, get him a ring, and let's celebrate. The only seemingly rational response or rational voice seems to show up in verse 25. Listen to what uh, verses 25 through 27 says. This is the older brother, right? The older brother says the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he, he heard music and dancing, which he knew had to be a little, uh, a bit of a, uh, throwing him off there. It says in verse 26, he called one of the servants and he asked, what was going on? What's happening? He says, your brother's come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's got him back safe and sound. I mean, the brother's the one that says, what's going on? It's the question of the moment, the only seemingly rational thing that's been said and I want you to listen closely because you are hearing Jesus share something that will change mankind forever. What he says in this room with the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the religious folks will change mankind forever. Jesus in this story wants you and me to know that the Father's love is more powerful than our sin could ever be. And even as I say that, some of you sit here and you think, but, but you don't know. Listen to me. It's the whole purpose of the story. That's it. 
That is it. The father knows his love is more powerful than his child's sin. And Jesus is looking at him and through this story, he just says, do you not know that your father in heaven knows the sin of everyone sitting in this room, yet he is waiting open-armed for you to come home. But what about the consequences? What about the cost? Here's the audacious part of the story. Are you ready for this? (laughs) When your sin leaves you lost, God's love covers the cost. God says, you want to know what it's like to be me? I rejoice when what was lost is found. And listen to me, for those of you who are ready to come home, it is time. Some of you were once in the Father's presence, but life's decisions led you down a path you never thought you'd end up at. And you've been worried to come back to Jesus because you're afraid that the Father's gonna be standing in the driveway with his arms crossed, expecting an explanation. And Jesus says, just so you know, you're wrong. You're wrong. The Father ran to the Son. And before he could get an excuse out, he said, just bring me the robe. Bring me a ring. The angels in heaven are gonna start singing, you have come home. Some of us, we've been in church so long that we forgot what it was like. I wanna encourage you, for those of you who have been found, would you just remember the moment Just for a second, would you just look back on what that looked like for you? The moment when, even though you didn't deserve it, even though you did nothing to earn it, Jesus, Father, wrapped his arms around you and said, my child, I got you. I got you. And it's so easy to forget, isn't it? the power of God's love to overcome the sin in our lives. And for those of you who are here this morning and you would say, Cody, and I've never, I've never known the Father's love. Whatever you've been told, whatever you've experienced, I read you this morning Jesus's words. And from the mouth of Jesus, he is waiting for you. I want to do this this morning, if I can. I'm just going to ask everybody, because uh, we're going to pray here in a moment. I'm just going to ask you if you'd bow your head and close your eyes for a second. We're going to have a lot to celebrate here in a moment. But I believe God still, I believe God still has a work to do. And so if you're here this morning and you would say, um, Cody, man, that that's me. I'm ready to come home. I, I have been living my own life, live in my own way. Um, would you pray for me? I won't point you out. I just wanna pray right now for, for those of you who would say, man, that's me. Would you just lift up your head, hand? I wanna pray for you right now.
Father, you saw those who are just saying, man, I'm here, God, and I need, I need you. And I just pray, God, that you would, through your word, that you would embrace them. Father, your promise is that you are a compassionate father who runs after the lost. God, would you, would you welcome them with a full embrace as they rest in you this morning? Father, if they need to take that step to be baptized, would they do that? Father, if it's a recommitment to you, would they do that? God, for those in the room who, and they're found, but, but Lord, life circumstances have just created chaos. Would you remind us of what it's like to be picked up by the good shepherd and carried back home? We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for coming and walking and telling us about the heart of the Father and dying so that we could have life, raising the life so that we can celebrate. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning, I just wanna tell you this as we continue to worship. Man, if you're like, man, that's me. Uh, Brennan and Connor in the back, if you don't know them, they've got all in shirts on, they're blue shirts and they just say all in on it. And if you're like, hey, I don't wanna leave this morning until I, I take this step in my faith walk. Um, during worship or even right after worship, if you don't, if you don't wanna do it during worship, would you just um, go back and just tap them on the shoulder and just say, hey, I wanna go all in. That's all you gotta say. They're gonna know what you're talking about, all right? And we'll continue to celebrate what God's doing. Let's stand and continue to worship.